Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, August 20th, 2022, and we are broadcasting live from Jefferson Park on Chicago's northwest side. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be your host for this hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. You can listen to past editions of this podcast by clicking on the media tab there in the podcast link. And if you'd like to contact us with questions or comments about the program or about the Christian life and faith in general, you can send us an email at notes at thechristianfaith.org. So again, welcome to the program. And uh, as I mentioned uh, last week on the program, we were at the Edison Park Business Expo, and uh, we really had a, uh, a very uh, good outreach there. It was a, very, a good number of opportunities to, to talk to people there about the gospel and about the Lord and about the need of salvation. So, so thank the Lord for that. I always uh, appreciate the opportunity to, to go to those festivals. And in fact, uh, this morning what we want to do is to continue the fellowship that we began in the last half of last week's program regarding the gospel. Of course, the past few weeks we've been covering this matter of the parable of the sower, which is about preaching the gospel. And uh, we can learn lessons about it from our spiritual growth, as we saw, but also so much about how to preach the gospel. Of course, the, the sower in that parable is the Lord, but the principles apply to us today as we go out to preach the gospel. And so we began to, to fellowship about the gospel and preaching the gospel with Brother Rex Beck uh, last week and uh, but it just seems there's so much of a need today for the gospel to go out and for Christians to be uh, strengthened to go out and preach the gospel. As the Lord said, to beseech the Lord of the harvest, that he would thrust out workers into his harvest. There's just such a need today. And the more I go out, you know, as, as we did these festivals, you just have a sense, of, again, of, of the need of so many people to hear the word of the Lord. And certainly in this country, there's such a need for the gospel to go out again in a, in a fresh and prevailing and anointed way. So let's, uh, let's begin this program with uh, just a brief prayer. Father, we just bow before your throne. We just worship you. We just praise you. We just thank you. And we cast ourselves upon you. We give this hour to you. Shame the enemy. And may your word go forth again to your children and, and to all who hear this program in such a prevailing way. We trust again in the power of your word and your speaking, not in what we can do, but in what you can do. In Jesus' name, for your sake and your glory, amen. So, as I say, we wanted to share about uh, uh, the gospel and, uh, and our need to be in the gospel. Um, you know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, the Lord tells the church in Philadelphia, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So, in front of the church in Philadelphia, there's this open door. And for sure, this relates to the matter of preaching the gospel. And Pember, in his Great Prophecy series, points something out that I hadn't considered before. That, you know, if you, know, if you understand these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, uh, you, you know they prefigure the different phases that the church was going to go through. And it's just a remarkable, remarkable prophecy. When you look at that and see how it exactly matches the history of the church, you just recognize only the Holy Spirit could have written this. And we do want to absolutely want to do a program on that at some point in the future because it's very, very important to see that. But we, we can't get into that today. But, but just to say, the church in Philadelphia 
prefigures the time when the saints would come together just in the brotherly love that we should have in the New Testament. Of course, uh, Sardis is right before Philadelphia. That's the church in the Reformation. It was slight, uh, slightly after that that the church entered the phase of Philadelphia. Some of the believers entered into the reality of Philadelphia. And that, was, uh, that would have been at the, beginning, at the beginning of the 1700s. And as Pember points out, it was at that time that this statement by the Lord was fulfilled. And again, it's just a remarkable prophecy that an open door uh, was set before the church for preaching the gospel. And ever since that time, it's really true, the door for the gospel has been opened as it never has been before. You know, up until that time, even, in the, even during the Reformation and afterwards for a while, you didn't have the freedom to preach the gospel just like you wanted it. The government uh, and other forces, uh, sometimes the Catholic Church would very much oppose that and, and do everything they could to stop it. Well, but from the time of Philadelphia, and anyone who knows anything about history knows that's, that's been uh, stopped. The Lord, just as he promises, opened the door that no one can shut. So today, as believers, we have an open door. Like in America, there's an open door to preach the gospel. Nobody's stopping us from preaching the gospel. Nobody can. We still have uh, the freedom to do that in this country. Even as we all know, the times are getting darker. The fact is that open door that the Lord promised us is there before us. Well, the Lord has given us the open door, but it's our responsibility to go through that door, to go out and to preach the gospel. You know, Pember has another um, very striking statement. He says, uh, he's talking about uh, those who come into contact with, uh, and they uh, never, maybe they never had the opportunity to, uh, to hear the gospel, even after we came into contact with him, because we don't, uh, we're not exercised in this matter of preaching the gospel. He said, maybe they're ignorant when they see the Lord. Uh, and that's going to be uh, uh, under the Lord's sovereignty. And yet, as Pember says, the Lord, God may require of us the reason for their ignorance. In other words, if they don't hear the gospel, you know, then the Lord has ways of judging that. He'll be fair in his judgment. But if they don't hear it, if they go before him and they're ignorant of the gospel, he may require the reason uh, for their ignorance from us. Why didn't they hear the gospel? So it's a serious matter, serious responsibility. You know, in the parable of the sower, what we see is that the sower went out to sow, just scattered the seed. And that's our responsibility, is to be those who are scattering the seed. And we can't always be doing that. Uh, I'm not saying we're doing that 24-7, but we should have a, a, a very sober realization as believers. We should be those who are out scattering the seed. And I tell you, the more you do it, the more you realize there's a need for the seed to go out. So... Uh, that's uh, our responsibility, is to sow the seed. It's not our responsibility. We don't want to make it too heavy. We have to be clear. It's not our responsibility to get people saved because we can't do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Lord's work. But we do have the responsibility to send forth the word and to be faithful, to sow the seed when we have the opportunity to do that. Uh, I've mentioned in a general way this, this quote from Billy Graham that uh, I appreciated recently, but I, uh, I actually found the quote itself this week, and I want to read that. Uh, he said, We may pray for a person to find Christ, but Jesus said it the other way around. He said that he came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, it's not the sinner who's doing the seeking, it's the Lord who's doing the seeking. Jesus does the seeking, and the Holy Spirit opens a person's heart. 
there is no other way to get an unsaved person to respond to respond. That's what we should be praying for. It took me years to understand that. When we pray urgently and faithfully for specific lost people, asking God to reach them, God works often in unique and unexpected ways to open hearts to himself. Well, Billy, Billy Graham, so far as anyone knows, was, was, was almost certainly the single most effective preacher of the gospel in the 20th century. And he said he had to realize himself he could not get anyone saved. He had to have that realization. He said he had to realize that has to be the Lord's work, and that should be our realization too. We're not responsible to get people saved, but we do need to get the seed out, and we do need to sow the seed. That's our, that's our job. Uh, and again, uh, in a public letter in 2013, uh, um, Brother Graham said, You cannot draw anyone to Christ, but God can. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. That's Ezekiel 34:11, And we need to ask him to do that. So prayer is so important when it comes to this matter of preaching the gospel. And we'll say more about that in a little bit. Uh, but again, we just want to stress here, our job, we don't want to be... Uh, we don't want to feel that everything depends upon us. We simply have to be faithful to fulfill our responsibility to sow the seed. And we have so many means. By whatever means uh, uh, we're comfortable with. We're, there's What works for me may not work for you and vice versa. You know, I, I like going to the festivals. I, and I, I do uh, work online with my website and other means and, of course, the radio program here. So uh, different things will work for different people. You have to find your way. Uh, that works for you, that you uh, feel good about to try to get the, the seed out there. But all we want to say, stress again is that we have to be faithful in this matter uh, so that the gospel can go forth in such a prevailing way in this age. Um, and there's one other point uh, I wanted to mention, uh, which is a very sober point, and it's in Luke 16, uh, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But... Uh, so I was looking in this story, and then I just had some feeling we need to say something about this parable itself as a word of the gospel. Um, there's a real lesson in this parable for believers. In addition to the basic lesson of this, and I shouldn't say parable, in the basic lesson of this story for unbelievers, in the warning for unbelievers, but there's a real lesson here for believers as well that we'll come to in a minute. I, but I was getting into this, and I just felt this is such a sober word, this uh, story of the rich man and Lazarus, that we need to really speak a word of the gospel this morning from, from this story. And so, again, that's in, it's in Luke chapter 16, um, verses uh, 19 through 31. We won't go through the whole thing, but mainly the first part. We'll just read this story. So the Lord is talking uh, to the Pharisees, to the religious people of his time, the religious leaders. And I'm just going to read it verse by verse here. Now there was a certain rich man, and he clothed himself in purple and fine linen, making merry every day in splendor. And a certain beggar named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be satisfied with the things that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So these two men had two very, very different lives. One was very blessed uh, in this life and one was lived a very difficult life, uh, Lazarus, of course. You know, some, there's a principle in studying the Bible that quite often what the Bible does not tell us is as significant as what it does tell us. And there's something here the Bible doesn't tell us. It's quite meaningful. And that is, it does not tell us the name of the rich man. Of course, we know who Lazarus is. It gives us his name, but it doesn't give us the name of the rich man. And why is that? For a very simple reason. It didn't matter. 
it simply doesn't matter who this man was. He was rich, and the world, I have no doubt the world knew his name. The world didn't know who Lazarus was. Uh, they wouldn't have, he was just a, some, some beggar lying in, in the gate covered with sores. Who cared about him? They cared about the rich man. It tells us uh, he uh, clothed himself in purple and fine linen, making merry every day in splendor. And he lived in a nice house. It says Lazarus is laid in the gate of his house. Um, he didn't care about Lazarus. What he cared about was his own enjoyment and, uh, and being merry and uh, living a good life. Well, that's the kind of person the world appreciates, but his life doesn't have any real meaning. It's just a man was born, he lived, and he died. So the Bible doesn't bother to tell us his name because it doesn't make any difference. So many people are like this. They just they, they enjoy themselves, they live happy lives, uh, and then their life is over and they're gone and it makes no real difference. Uh, uh, no real eternal value. But Lazarus, his life, even though he suffered so much, he was known by the Lord. And that's why the Bible does tell, his, tell us his name. Uh, verse 22, it says, And the beggar died, and he, he was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. You know, Lazarus didn't get a burial. Uh, he was probably, almost certainly, he would have been thrown into a uh, pauper's grave because he wouldn't have any, any money to, to pay for a burial, a burial plot. But the rich man got a nice burial, a nice send-off. And, uh, and people probably were, were talking about what a, what a good guy he was and uh, uh, what a good life he had. But that's what man sees again. Again, what man sees is very different from what God sees. What man didn't see is that the angels came and took Lazarus. There were no angels to greet the rich man on the other side. But the angels came and they took Lazarus. And they took Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. Verse 24. Uh, sorry, verse 23. And in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You know, the very moment you pass from this life into the next, if you're a person who's not saved, and we're saying this to warn you, if you're listening to this program and you haven't had the experience yet of salvation, we're just trying to warn people today. The very moment you pass from this life to the next, an unsafe person, person enters into torment, just like the rich man here. It says, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. This is a sober word. And that's, you know, this is the only uh, glimpse in the whole Bible that I'm aware of that shows us what a person who is what a person's existence is like on the other side of death. You know, we have general descriptions about the lake of fire in Revelation 20 and so, and so on, and Tartarus and Second uh, Peter, I think it's chapter 2. But here we actually see a person in torment. I think this is the only place, and that's why this is such a sober warning. And I, if you're listening to this and you're not saved, we need to have a healthy fear. And our hope is this would help you cry out to the Lord to realize you need a Savior because you don't want to end up in that place. But I'm so concerned. So many people hearing this word will end up there because they won't open their heart to the Lord. Uh, so it says, being in torment, uh, uh, saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, verse 24, and he called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy to me on me and send Lazarus to dip by the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish in this flame. So one thing to point out here, the fact that the, the rich man did not go into torment because he was rich. 
That's not because Abraham, we know from the account in Genesis, he was very rich. He had a lot of material wealth. There's, that's not the problem. The problem is what does that material wealth do to our heart and to our relationship with God? This parable is in Matthew, or sorry, it's in Luke 16. Earlier in Luke 16, uh, the Lord says, uh, gives us this principle, Luke 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's the problem. Again, we may have the riches, but the question is, are we serving the Lord or are we serving our riches? What is our life all about? Now, this man was living rich, assumptuously every day and making merry. Uh, again, he was, he was serving mammon. He wasn't serving the Lord. So we may have the riches. That's not the issue. The question is, are we serving mammon or are we serving the Lord? But he called out and asked Abraham to send Lazarus to him to cool his tongue. Uh, and Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you fully received your good things, and like Lazarus, likewise, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. You know, again, I'm just concerned. So many hearing this may end up just like this rich man. They'll find out they receive their good things in this life. Uh, and there won't be any good things left for them in the next life. Don't be like that. Open your heart to the Lord today. Turn and say, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. I repent. I'm a sinner. I don't want to end up like this rich man. But so many people in America are going to end up like this rich man. Such a blessed country uh, in so many ways. They're going to find out in, in your lifetime you received your good things. This is a sober warning. Again, I don't think there's any reason to say this is a parable. I don't see that. You can't, maybe you can't quite be dogmatic about that. I don't see any reason to say that. This seems to be a real, a real story the Lord is telling. And so we need to be very sober and, uh, uh, and see what it shows us about our destiny. And if we haven't yet opened our heart to the Lord, cry out, Lord, save me. I just repent. I just confess I'm a sinner. I don't want to end up in this place of torment. I want to end up in the place of blessing. Thank you. You died on the cross for my sins. I repent. I claim you as my Savior. I claim the forgiveness you desire to give me. You know, John 5, 24 is a wonderful verse. It says, "He who the Lord says, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. The moment you open your heart to the Lord, he makes it as easy as he possibly can. The moment you open your heart to the Lord, you pass out of death into life, and you don't have to worry about going to that place of torment anymore. That's not the end of the Christian life. It's the beginning of the Christian life. But your eternal destiny at that point is changed. Now you're going to be one who's spending eternity with the Lord, not in that place of torment. Torment. And again, that's John 5, verse 24. A wonderful, wonderful promise when we open our heart and believe in the Lord. So I hope that so many who hear this, uh, this word today will do that, will open their heart to the Lord and change their eternal destiny. And you see, and so then we go on in the parable. Uh, he says, uh, in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise, Lazarus, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So again, as you said, that's what people are going to find out. Maybe I enjoyed my good things in this lifetime and there's nothing left for me to enjoy in the next age. And then, But then listen to what Abraham says. He goes on, And besides all these things, between us and you, a great chasm is fixed so that those wanting to pass from here to you cannot, 
neither from there to us may any cross over. And so this is why it's so important to make sure we have our heart right with the Lord today. Today there's no chasm. Today there you can cross over today, just like John 5.24 says. You pass out, out of death into life. That's to cross over that chasm. Because the chasm isn't fixed yet. Today in this life you have the opportunity. In that life it's too late. You can't cross over anymore. But today you can. So today, again, we urge you, take that step. Believe in the Lord and cross over while it's still today. So that's, that's the word in this story, uh, incident for unbelievers. As we said, a very, very sober word. Um, we just, I just, as I was getting into that, I just had some feeling I need to, out of, uh, hopefully out of a loving heart, a genuine concern to share that with those who are listening to this program. But there's a word here too for the believers that we wanted to uh, mention. Okay, and that's, I want to read that verse again. It's Luke 16, verse 26, where Abraham says, Besides all these things between us and you, a great chasm is fixed, so that those wanting to pass from here to you cannot, neither from there to us may any cross over. Did, did you hear what Abraham says? And this is the Lord re reporting what Abraham says. According to Abraham, he says, there are those who want to pass from here to you. In other words, there are those who want to pass over from where Abraham is to the place of torment. Some people want to do that, according to Abraham's word here that the Lord is telling us. We can understand what he says in, next. Is many uh, uh, You can't cross over from the place of torment to the place of blessing. We can understand that, you know, why people would want to make that journey. Again, you can't because the chasm's fixed, but we can understand why people would want to do it. But why would anyone want to cross over from the place of blessing to the place of torment? That's the hard part to understand. Why in the world would anyone want to do that? Well, there's only one reason why people would want to do that is because they see the people they care about in torment on that other side and they want to do something to help them. But Abraham says, no, in that day, it's too late. In that day, the chasm is fixed. You can't do that anymore. Uh, they won't be able, they'll, they'll see the people they care about uh, in suffering. And, you know, it's hard to say exactly how their feeling will be, whether they'll be, you know, be grieved or in anguish about that. Hard to say. But at the very least, they're going to want to try to provide some comfort and they won't be able to do that because they can't cross over that chasm. Now, to be clear, this is not yet eternity. Uh, this uh, is not the place of the damned. This is, uh, Hades is where a person goes immediately after death. But it's a temporary holding place. The final judgment hasn't taken place yet. That's recorded in, in Revelation 20, where everyone stands before the great white throne. Uh, the condemned stand before the great white throne, and then they're cast into the lake of fire. That's eternal damnation. But uh, this is not yet that. It's like uh, and the analogy would be if you're arrested for a crime, first you go to jail, then you stand before the judge, and then you go to prison. So Hades, so to speak, is a kind of a jail. It's a temporary holding place. So it's not showing us exactly what the situation is going to be in eternity. But at least at this point, uh, the saved are going to see people they care about, maybe their loved ones, or friends, or family members, or coworkers, people they know, and suffering, and there's nothing they can do about it in that day. Well, the good news is that today we can do something about it. And that's the lesson for preaching the gospel. Today we can cross over. Now is the time to cross over because the chasm's not fixed, not fixed, not fixed yet. 
If your loved ones, uh, your colleagues, your friends haven't yet heard the gospel, now is the time to share with them about being saved because today you can cross over and bring them back to the side of life. Praise the Lord for that. There's still time to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's a, a way of salvation available to them to help them realize they need a Savior. And that day is too late. But that day is not yet. Today we still have the time. And so as believers, we need to be so exercised to get out and to preach the gospel and to realize uh, we uh, uh, sh should be, have such a feeling to uh, be exercised that our friends and our loved ones would be saved so that they can be brought to the Lord and brought to salvation and saved from the place of torment. It's a very serious word. This is a real thing. Uh, today, people, uh, if you talk about sin and God's judgment, it's not a word that people are really that welcome to hear. Well, uh, the fire hasn't gone out. Uh, you just have to, this is a sober word. This is a sober word. There's no indication God has changed. We may have changed. Uh, the world and the age may have become even harder against God, but the fire hasn't gone out. God is still a God of judgment. He's a loving, kind, and gracious God. Uh, he wants us to repent and turn and believe in him. But uh, he doesn't just overlook our sin. Uh, Romans chapter 2, I think is verse 4, it says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's kindness is not to overlook our sin. His kindness is to lead us to repentance because he's a holy God. He has to judge sin. And so that that's what he's doing. He's leading us to repentance. And I do believe even today, if you're hearing this message, it's God's kindness to help you come to repentance and to find Christ as your Savior because God has to judge sin. And he did that in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so he wants you to find Christ as your Savior. So he doesn't have to judge your sin. But that's up to you. No one can do that for you. No one can open your heart to the Lord to receive him as your Savior except you. Not your pastor, your priest, your parents, or your friend. You know, um, we can point the way. But we can't open your heart for you. You have to do that yourself. And take that step and cry out and say, Lord, I believe in you. I want you to be my Savior. It's so easy to do, but you have to do it. You have to do it. And so... Uh, so that's uh, just, a, like I say, a very sober word we wanted to share with people, but we have to be faithful to the Lord and share this kind of a word sometime. And uh, I hope, as I say, so many who hear this word will open their heart and believe in the Lord as their Savior. Now, one last point I wanted to cover in this segment uh, is something that really impressed me as I was getting into the parable of the sower these, these last few weeks with some other brothers is the importance of prayer in the gospel. You know, as we said earlier, we have to have a clear realization. We can't get anyone saved. Only the Lord can do that. If we have that realization, then we're going to be very exercised to pray for the gospel, to pray for the Lord's word to go forth, uh, for the truth to go forth, to shame the enemy. Because what we see in the parable of the sower is we face an enemy who is so determined and so unspeakably evil to try to prevent people from being saved. Because in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, uh, the first type of soil where the seed goes is the soil by the wayside. And the Lord tells us that the birds come and take the, the seed, take away the seed. And then when he explains the parable, he says, uh, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and takes that seed away. So when we're preaching the gospel, we always have to be aware Satan is very exercised 
to do everything he can to keep people from being saved. And the only way we can deal with him is by standing in the Lord's victory, the victory that the Lord won over him on the cross. Praise the Lord. Uh, Watchman Nee said, we don't fight from victory. As Christians, we don't fight from victory. We fight to victory. Sorry, I had, I had that exactly wrong. He said, as Christians, we don't fight, we don't fight to victory. We fight from victory. In other words, we're standing in the victory the Lord won on the cross. That's our uh, standing. When we stand in that victory, then we can deal with the enemy. And the way we stand in that victory uh, when we're preaching the gospel is by praying and uh, just uh, seeking the Lord, uh, that he would reach the lost. He would send forth his spirit and uh, cause some to open their heart to the Lord, as Billy Graham said. Uh, Only the Lord can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Uh, in Ephesians 6:12, uh, the Apostle Paul says, "We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places." That's who we're really dealing with. Um, and of course, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the thoughts of the unbelievers. So that's who we have to deal with. You have to realize. Uh, just how evil and how determined the enemy is. And uh, I mentioned, I think it was last week, the, the statement by D.L. Moody, uh, most Christians fail because they underestimate the strength of the enemy. It is true he's already been defeated, but we need to claim that victory that Christ won over him in order to practically carry out his defeat and for the gospel to go forth. You know, and I have to say, I had a, I had a practical, practical experience, I felt, of this uh, when we were at the festival last weekend here in Chicago, um, that uh, for a time uh, on the Lord's Day, Sunday, people don't use that term too much anymore, but Lord's Day is the biblical way of referring to Sunday, the first day of the week. Uh, So on the Lord's Day, uh, we were there in the afternoon and it just didn't seem that much was happening. We had some chances to preach the gospel. There were a few, but it just didn't seem too much was happening. It seemed like there was just a, a resistance to the Lord's word going forth. But because we'd been in the parable of the sower, I just had a sense to keep praying, praying for the booth, praying for the space that we were in and asking the Lord to really do something. And eventually in the evening, it just seemed like things really opened up and we did have a number of chances, very good chances to uh, to share the gospel. And we'll, uh, in the next segment, when we're talking with uh, Peter from Naperville, we may, may see a little bit more about that, but especially with high schoolers, it just seemed like there was a lot of openness Ones would come by the booth and we we had some materials there to, to talk with them about <clears throat> and a demo, little demonstration we did uh, to share the gospel with them. And sometimes very large groups of uh, one in particular. Uh, I just I was across the table sharing with, it was more than a dozen. It, it was any, maybe 15 or so young high schoolers, most of whom were pretty seriously listening to what we had to say. And I just felt that was a real answer to the prayer that uh, of the in the afternoon, and the prayer others prayed for that time as well. We had a few chances to talk with Muslims, uh, which were very good and very encouraging. Because you know, when, whenever you see a Muslim, you just have, should have a sense within, Lord, save this person, bring them uh, to yourself to know you as their savior. Uh, I try to practice that. We should all practice that. And. Uh, so we had, I felt the Lord again answered that prayer because we, at, the, at the festival we did have some very good opportunities to share with some Muslims who were somewhat open, more or less open, to hear the word of the gospel. And that again was a real lesson to me how crucial uh, prayer really is. 
uh, we have to deal with the enemy. You know, I, I had another experience last week where uh, uh, this one woman came by and she was listening in a very uh, serious way to, to you know what we were sharing about the gospel. And uh, uh, but then her friend came by, so-called friend came by, and, and was trying to grab her. She wasn't happy uh, that she was hearing this kind of a word, and she was trying to grab her to take her away to do something else. I just felt that was exactly what you see in the parable of the sower, the birds coming to take take the seed away. And again, we can't deal with that. That's not our responsibility, but we ask the Lord to deal with it, and we stand in his victory, and then that opens up the door for the gospel to go forth. Uh, and so the last thing I want to say in this segment is that um, when we do sow the seed, then we need to trust the power of the seed. Uh, the seed uh, is so powerful, just like a seed of any plant. I mean, it's amazing what that a seed can produce. And what it produces varies, of course, with the type of seed, but it's just unbelievable. And even in the physical realm, the plant realm, it's just a seed is so powerful. Well, how much more powerful is this divine seed, the seed which is the word of God? And we need to trust when we sow that word uh, that it will bring forth the fruit that God desires eventually. That's Isaiah 55. The Lord says, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. Praise the Lord for that. So as we preach the gospel, even if we don't see anything, we should have a real trust that uh, the Lord's word is going forth and it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. Praise the Lord. So that's, uh, that's basically all we wanted to share in this segment. In the next segment, we're going to bring on Brother Peter Dong from Naperville, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about the gospel. I think especially more uh, how it relates uh, to young people, how to share with young people today. So we will see you on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Uh, in this uh, segment, we're going to be continuing uh, our fellowship about the gospel. Go, there's so much more to say. The time just goes by so fast. But uh, but now we want to bring on Brother Peter Dong from Naperville. Peter, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Peter. Welcome to the program. Praise the Lord. You sound good. Thanks. Yeah. Hope you're Thanks doing for well. Me. Yeah. Amen. Always good to have you, your brothers on. We, we, we like to share, have different brothers that we know from different places come and be with us. So praise the Lord. Glad you can be with us. Um, so, Peter, first of all, before we, we get into the, the fellowship for this half of the program, uh, did, 
I don't know if you, you have anything to add to what I shared in the first part of the program. I mean, just that it's just it's it's always important to rem- be reminded of the importance of the gospel and the yeah. need of the people around us. Right. I feel like there's a so it sort of always the Lord reminds us there's always such a need, even in situations that seem fine or in situations that seem terrible. Always there's a, a need of so many people around us to hear the word of the truth. Yeah, really so. And, and I just, uh, you know, when you're out um, at these festivals, or even I was in uh, in Chicago, uh, I would say Wicker Park or Bucktown, and uh, you just sense people today just don't have, they don't have a meaning in their life. They're just drifting, and uh, they just don't know what they're here for, and, and your heart goes out to them. You know, I don't say it to condemn anybody, We're, but we have what people are looking for, and that's a real responsibility, and we need to be cognizant of that, and really, it should cause us to, to cry out to the Lord, and, uh, you know, we ended the last segment talking about prayer, just to even pray that the Lord would help us to know how to go forth and, and to send forth the Word. Amen. Yeah, amen. So, um, I did, but one thing I mentioned in the previous segment too, Peter, was that as, as I've been at these festivals, uh, I've, we've had, especially it seems, a, a good many opportunities to talk to young people. I would say high schoolers especially, and some also of maybe junior high. They just come over to the booth, and my feeling is that there's a recognition a lot of these high schoolers have that there's an emptiness and, frankly, a, a lunacy to what they're being taught today in the schools about morality. There's uh, no limits and no boundaries. And so it seems some of them are recognizing that, and they're beginning to search for what may be real. What's, they're looking for something that is real, for guidelines, for how to uh, how how they should live their life, what they should be looking for in their life, and so that I think is creating an openness for the gospel in that age group, which is which is encouraging. Uh, and that just you know just kind of anecdotal, but that was my my feeling from these past few weeks. And I don't know. Um, Oh, I, I should now. I need to introduce Peter too. And there, there's a reason why I wanted to have Peter on uh, to talk about this segment. Uh, uh, Peter is a is a high school teacher at the Illinois Math and Science Academy, right? IMSA, it's yeah. called for short. Okay, yeah. Uh, I know you did your undergrad. You undergrad, you went to Harvard, and uh, mm-hmm. then you got your doctorate at UCLA. Uh, I think I've got this right. And when yep. you were studying for your doctorate, that's when you came to you came here to Chicago, where you did your work at Fermilab, right? That's right. Right. Okay. I, I, I always get Abbott and Fermi confused. Anyway, so for the, the non uh, initiated, I guess I'm not sure <laughs> what the relationship is. Anyway, but uh, but but P, now and then I was surprised. You said you've been in Nimson now for what 15 years? Almost. This is my 15th year. That's that's cra- crazy to me, Peter. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy to me too. I, I can't even imagine that. But but because and also. Uh, uh, in the church there in Naperville, you do uh, serve a lot with the younger people. And so I thought Peter would be a good one to talk to about this. And uh, uh, if, if you have some sense, Peter, about uh, working with young people, what people young people are looking for, and the kind of opportunities you've had to to speak to ones uh, about the Lord. Um, and, of course, as a teacher, there's only so much you can do. But uh, uh, I just wanted to see what as far as young people and where they're at today what what's your sense peter in relation to the gospel and uh yeah i mean i think one um one uh one common uh an easy misconception to have about any well any group of people is to treat them as monolithic right as they're all that the, they're all 
uh, the same. They're all basically identical. Um, it is easy, of course, to group together, you know, kids these days, right, just as much as we might yeah. uh, old people or people of a given race, religion, upbringing, and so forth, right? Really, I think anyone like yourself who's gone to preach the gospel, you see there's actually uh, uh, people are individual, and many of them, even if they're in a particular group, a particular upbringing, a, per- a particular situation, are often not actually um, happy or fully committed to the situation they're in, uh, but they ended up there through for, for all sorts of different reasons, right? So the, um, I feel like there is a, an, easy, uh, an easy tendency to dismiss, not to dismiss or to despair even over the condition of the world or what are they doing yeah. to the young people. I would say in reality, uh, uh, teenagers are teenagers now, just as they have been for thousands of years. <laughs> um, and the Lord has ways to reach them, just as He has for thousands of years. Um, the um, what I find uh, dealing with people at my school is um, that uh, a lot of uh, teenagers are very interested in the gospel, are interested in the things of the Lord, and. Um, if there is a, as as often happens, there is a, there is a, um, how do I say it? There is a, 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 a hunger or a longing for something if it's not being addressed with the regular conversations or the regular, uh, uh, you know, things they're taught in school and so mm. forth, or in their family. So if, uh, <clears throat> so I have found... No, they're they're not looking for pat answers, in okay. other words. Well, I think that yeah. there's there's a lot of people that are very interested in religious style topics, religious related topics. They're they're questioning. So, what is my purpose here? And you know, what does life mean? And what is the soul? And you know, th- th- these questions that have come up for you know all of man's existence are not new ones. Um, but one difference for a lot of them is that if you have a very uh, secular or materialistic upbringing, then it's quite possible that no one's ever addressed these questions. No one's ever even brings them up. And what you happens in school is that I feel like is that there's a general um, push of sort of uh, a secularist push to everything. In other words, you don't, you don't mention those things. You don't talk about them. You don't bring them up in class. You don't bring them up in, in, right? If you bring, the only time they might show up in class would be like in history class, in which that's what people used to say a long time ago, right? Uh, Emphasizing that that's not what like modern people are supposed to talk about, but they do. And so they still look out, they talk to peers, they talk to adults. They are interested in these questions that, that you don't, that are often not addressed in anywhere else in their lives. So the first time a student came up to me, um, and asked me about uh, about the Lord. He asked me about like, well, I know, uh, aren't you a Christian? Can you tell? Me? It took, took me completely off guard. Hmm. And it was a student who I would not have expected. You know, you don't, you, you're not the one. He was actually a, um, uh, a nice, but, uh, intelligent, like real happy, uh, popular student who was doing real well. There was no like, you, you, and seems like completely content without. You know, he didn't seem seem like one of those people who just doesn't need God, right? Like he just. He's just, everything is fine. And he came to me and he was like, wait, I, I want to know, like, what, what is it that you were doing? It took me completely off guard because I didn't expect that that would happen from him or for any student. Turns out that actually this kind of thing actually happens all the time. I've had students come in and ask, like, 
how can you get up in the morning and knowing that life is futile? So I'd say, like, I don't know why you're at, why you decided to ask that to your physics teacher, but I'm going to tell you the answer that life is not futile, right? That's, yeah, that's there a big point. A that's they do yeah. feel, but based on what they've been taught in the in this the mm-hmm. secularist mindset, there is no point to life. Mm-hmm. Right. And there is yeah. there is a lot of that. Right. Because the general thing is they say, find your passion or you 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 live your your life. You find your uh, fulfillment or something like that. That's uh, <clears throat> that's um, anyone who thinks about that carefully says, wait a second. Like that's really the same thing as saying that there is no pa- is no meaning. If you get to make it up yourself. That means there really is no actual answer. And that's not rather than empowering, it's dispiriting, right? It makes it says later that means there really isn't anything. So to, the, yeah, the freedom they're being promised, it isn't freedom at all. It's meaningless. It's it's, it's emptiness, in other words. There's no boundaries right. anymore. Think, yeah, yeah. But it's just so and empty. Increasingly, people are afraid to make concrete statements. So that was another thing um, that I found hmm. is that. Um, uh, that uh, uh, I think most people, frankly, but certainly the the uh, high schoolers that I work with, they will respond to or they'll be interested in things that are different from what everyone else says, um, things that catch their attention. So if you say, um, you know, you do you and follow your passions and pursue your goals and shoot for the moon, then they won't listen because they've heard that a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there right. that is interesting to them. Um, but if you say you shouldn't follow your goals, your goals are probably bad ones and will probably lead you to a bad place, then a lot of them will actually be actually actively interested. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what I actually want to know more about this, because in some cases, they may have come to the same, they may have arrived at the same possibility, right? Um, in the current age, um, you know, in, in past ages, things, you know, things, things change as the world shifts. In the current age, I feel like People are afraid to make concrete statements about just about anything. Any, um, any kind of any kind of absolute statement. You know, in the, I, I and I don't it's especially the postmodern age morality. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, I think especially things related to morality or right. truth. Right. So yes, now they right. say you talk about find your truth or speak your truth. So to make the statement that there is only one truth, it's not yours. That um, then people people will pay attention. They'll look. And I found that rather than by, they generally do not respond with anger or arguments, but with actual interest. So this isn't to say they necessarily agree, um, but they're usually completely interested in it. Um, And um, I found that um, what, you know, sometimes if you, if you only read the newspapers, then of course it depends which newspaper you read, but you can sometimes get the impression that oh that schools are like a lost cause they're entirely secularized that they're enti- you know that there's no opportunity for speaking actually there's plenty of opportunity um because the students are interested and no one can stop them from starting a conversation if they want to um and there is uh pl- plenty of opportunity to um to speak about the lord because the students will keep bringing it up because they're interested um and I would also say that the um, that my um, there are opportunities. Sometimes students ask me to speak about something, and sometimes it's uh, you're, it's ta- you're talking like an, organi- an organized event. Yeah, um, an organized event. The club will ask me for something. Mm-hmm. Um, they've asked to do debates on things. They've asked me to speak at a senior banquet before. And when that happens, like there's an opportunity to 
uh, to bring in something of the Lord. And I found that when I do, I have never gotten anyone say anything angrily to me. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, maybe they're just not saying it, but certainly nothing from my administration or a complaint from a parent or anything like that. But I always have had students who have said, thank you so much for saying that. Like, I feel like no one is willing to talk about that. Or you said something that I've been feeling, but no one will talk about. And we're not talking about political stuff here. We're talking about talking, just expressing that God, that God has something to do with anything we're, that we live right now is a big, a big, a big, uh, uh, it can be very meaningful for some students. And I feel like every time I do it, I have several students who say like, that was, that was meant a lot to me that you said that. Can, can you give it, what, um, can you give an example of something you said, Peter? I know sometimes it's hard to think of something offhand, but, uh, sure, there's plenty. No, yeah. that's, that's, that's yeah. fine. Um, I, um, there's a, depends on, you know, the situation and stuff. I try to follow the spirit. I try to also be, you know, cognizant of my, my job, uh, in the sense that I should, I yeah, should. Right. You have, you weren't hired to preach the gospel as much as. Yeah. I have, I have, I have a, right. a contract I had to follow. I don't, right. I don't preach the gospel in my right. physics class because that right. would, that would not be right according yeah. to the contract I signed. Right. But the, um, so a lot of these are, so most of the time is outside of class. Um, well, we get, uh, what about me? Can um, I be specific? What about the, the senior banquet? Would that be a good? Uh, yeah, I've, sure. I've, I've spoken a few times at the senior bank, which is the year end thing that the yeah. the parent the parent advisory committee uh, puts it together. And um, I I do use the time I use the time to talk to students about things that I think are helpful to them. But it's impossible to do that really if you if I'm going to do it honestly. It's impossible to do it without mentioning uh, the Lord. So. Um, it's not at that time, I don't feel appropriate or helpful to preach the gospel outright, but it is worth mentioning to talk about the fact that the other things that they are pursuing uh, can be empty, to talk about the lack of love in the world, to talk about the heavy, heavy tide of focused self-interest, which doesn't do anyone any good, but can, but does lead people away from the Lord. And I always give them, um, I actually, uh, or at least for quite a few years, I have given the students the blessing from Leviticus, right? The famous, the Lord bless you, Lord, Lord bless oh, you and keep oh. you. Um, the, um, I've, always, uh, right. I've always given that blessing to the students because, and not just as a formality, but because I mean it. They, what they really need is the Lord's blessing. Yeah. And I, you know, pray for them that they would, I don't pray during the speech. I think I'd be going too much. Um but I do, you know, before and afterwards, this is something serious. In one case, I talked about how only the Lord was the only uh, way that I could get through a particular difficult year mm. I had. Mm. Um, in another case, um, I uh, talked about a teacher who had passed away and, you know, invited them to consider, like, death coming sooner than they might realize. Mm. Um and so, like young the, people don't think about that until they lose one of their yeah. friends. Yeah, right. Because you right. just think you're immortal at that age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, we say that, but actually, my experience is actually a lot of them do think about that, but they're hmm. maybe in some sense encouraged not to um, by the what mass media at large. But they do think about things like that. And so, when someone says something, they're like, "Oh, this is something I actually want to think more about." Hmm. I actually have to remember after one, there was a a student who who emailed me and said, I need to, I want to know more about this. We kept up the email exchange for quite a while about that. More about, um, more and about, so, yeah. Do you want to know more about, about what? 
Oh, I'm sorry about the Lord. He's sort of like, how can you, you're a physicist. How can you believe in the Lord? Okay. Um, Like, how can you talk about, you talk, want to talk about, you know, reveal knowledge versus scientific knowledge and things like that. And yeah, and we, we talked over email quite a while. Um, I had had, um, yeah, so there's a real opportunity. And one of the biggest things, a lot of the people who come up to me have been, uh, people who are themselves Christian, but being in such a relentlessly secular environment, have um, really uh, have not shared their faith. faith yeah. Falter, yeah. And it says like they said, oh, this really made me encouraged because I didn't think that I didn't I didn't think faith and science were compatible. But now you're showing me that it can be. Well, that's, like I said. Just as, a, as an aside, Peter, uh, before too long, we wanted to do a program with both you and Rex, because he's also, as it happens, a Ph.D. Uh, physicist, the brother we had on last week, mm-hmm. to talk about some of these issues about faith and science. I think it would be very—we need to do that, because it's, it's, a, it's just so completely false, that notion that they're, they're not compatible. But anyway, but that's an aside. Right. So, yeah, but, but that's what uh, people are being taught today. So, anyway, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So No, no, that was a— yeah. That was a example. So, I mean, what I've found is that there are, um, you know, the Lord has made the opportunities happen. Um, I didn't, I, I am not a strong gospel preacher um, and have not been, have not been good about seeking out opportunities, but the Lord, by his mercy and by his arrangement, keeps on bringing people in. And it's very often the ones you don't expect, the ones you're not ready for, and at weird, weird times. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, I've had opportunity to to pray with students hmm. um, at good. times I really wasn't expecting to during my office hours, um, and I've had uh, the oppor- a, a remarkable number of opportunities to talk to, to to people about the Lord. One time, some people just invited me to a dorm to talk about just to talk about things, and. One of the students there says, well, then, what's the meaning of life? That's my question. They were just asking questions. That was his question. Okay, so, no, um, so the readers, like, the uh, people who are listening understand, IMSA is a boarding school, right? You, so the kids oh, yeah, actually, actually live on campus. Yeah, right. You, you had to, had to explain that. So they, they, they have dorms there as high schoolers. They're living away from home. Mm-hmm. So they invited right. you to the dorm not to talk about spiritual things, but just kind of general things. But then one asked you about... What's the meaning of yeah. life? Is that, is he asked, that, what's the meaning of life? Yeah. Well, you asked me that question. I have to answer it. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Sure, yeah. Right? Um, and, um, but, right, but there's, so there's a lot of, um, so there's these opportunities. I feel like, you know, I've run the, the verse in Paul says, proclaim the word, be ready in season and out of season. Um, I feel like the Lord brings up a lot of out of season opportunities. Uh, a lot of times when I'm really not expecting it, something comes up and then it's like, oh, this is like, <laughs> suddenly I have to say something, right? But um, I think it's a, a, you know, there is always, the enemy has always been fighting and the Lord has always been the victor. And so there is a, Amen. there is nothing um, sort of intrinsically different about, uh, you know, teenagers these days as they were 50 years ago. The world environment has changed. There might be certain approaches that are more effective or less effective than before, but by and large, people are searching for meaning still because they haven't found it unless they found the Lord, and they will. Um, and uh, eventually, what the what the Lord needs is just for people to someone to announce it. Well, and, it's really good that they know um, yeah. just that the, the fact that they know that you're a believer. That's uh, that's going to help some eventually maybe question the things they've been yeah. told about. Well, you can't. 
uh, you can't really be a believer today if you're a thinking person. It's what the world wants to tell them. But do you, as far as the Bible goes, um, and we just have about less than a minute left, maybe about a minute, Peter, but is, in terms of talking about the Bible itself, uh, the Word of God, has that come up with any of these young people? And it, uh... Well, certainly it does, yeah, and, okay. and just the same way as anything else. Sometimes they have mm-hmm. questions about it. Sometimes I have to bring it up because that's the only way I can answer certain questions. Um, in regards to things like I had a, a student come in who is openly lesbian and wanted questions, ask questions about homosexuality. I answered based on the Bible because, and I was very clear with her about that. And you know what? She was fine. She was not offended, and it was it, we had. Um, and we've had, I had the opportunity later to, to preach the gospel to her by email uh, when, uh, when the, the opportunity, after she graduated, the opportunity I thought was, was, uh, was the right thing to do. So I think that, yeah, the Bible, I mean, it's, it's everything else. They're interested in that. They're interested in truth. They're interested in knowing what the world is actually about. And um, there, there's a, lot, a much more openness, I think, than, than the the news reports would have it. Well, um, we need, we need to have faith in that. That's one of the things we need to have faith in. Yeah. That we, if we preach the gospel, there's going to be, they will receive it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we need to have faith on, on their behalf, too. Yeah. yeah. Amen, Peter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, uh, we, we just need to be faithful. So don't believe it. So basically you're saying don't believe the lie that there there's not an openness there. There is an openness. We just have to right. see, Absolutely. take advantage of the opportunities. We have to finish up now, Peter. And just a, a final brief yeah. word, anything you want to add? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, it is, uh, I have found it best to avoid things that are politically controversial because they are they are more likely to have answers and arguments ready about that and to have heard about it before. But although the Lord, I mean, follow the Spirit, of course, but I found that they're often interested, and that's they're interested in the Lord, and that's what we should be talking about. Amen. Right? Everything else can be, is, is used as a springboard to talk about the Lord himself. Amen. And uh, if that is the center of the gospel, then that, that's, that's what we need to focus on. Amen, Peter. Amen. Thank you very much. That's good. Amen. Encouraging fellowship. Praise the Lord. We need to pray for the Lord's work there, too. So that's what has been encouraging me lately, the need for prayer. Amen, Peter. Thank you so much for coming on today. Good to talk to you, brother. My pleasure. Hopefully again soon. Okay. Grace to you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.